detective. Thrill me. Thanks for joining us again for another episode. It's Jared and myself with another horror flick. Uh, we've decided to go with a bit of John Carpenter. 1980s The Fog. But before we get to that, let's just cover a little bit of ground here. We've got a bit of an up or down. Fast 9. I believe it's called The Fast Saga. I think that's the colon, The Fast Saga, F9. Mm-hmm. It's directed by Justin Lind. And then it's got, you know, Diesel, John Cena. Yeah, it's a huge cast. What was your take on the trailer? Because you're, you're a supporter of this series, let's be honest. Longest trailer known to man. Uh, three, three minutes, minutes 40. 45 or something. Yeah, you, look. Looks like more of the same. I go into a Fast and the Furious movie looking for some action. And let's be honest. If the action stuff isn't is great... And the other stuff isn't so isn't so good. I'll still be happy if it's the other way round. <laughs> probably less so. Yeah, my initial thoughts are obviously Han's back, which is fun. Well, that's the second second character in the series has come back from the dead somehow. <laughs> John Cena and Diesel acting off each other. Trouble. Imagine the point Trouble. scoring, like the mad point scoring well, board. You were here a minute ago when I said. I hope they're not going to say something fucking stupid like it's his brother. And five seconds later, <laughs> oh yeah, it's Dom's brother. Oh, what, what, oh, come on, like yeah. But the car stuff looks like it's going to be suitably over the top. Looks like they might have even kicked things up a notch further than Hobbs and Shaw, which was a little bit, <laughs> little bit out there. But uh, we'll see. It's going to get to a point where it's. It's just too much, and there's a few bits in this trailer where it looks like this could be the one, but I'll reserve judgment. You go in for a bit of a spectacle and a bit of a a bit of thrills and excitement, and you can cop a little bit of the ridiculous if, if that's all there. Yeah. At first, first glance, I don't think it's going to be up there with Fast Five or something like that, but hey, I'll be there. I It's a difficult one for me to to judge because obviously I haven't seen a large portion of the series. We talked about this earlier on today. It's, it's got a lot to do with Diesel. He's not really an actor that that I gravitate towards. No. That doesn't no, mean, I, you know... <laughs> that, I quite honestly, he's my least favourite part of the series, I think. But, that, you know. that makes it difficult because I don't, I don't really feel the need to rush out and watch these films. I'm not a car guy. I'm not a Diesel guy. I know they've changed and I know that the, um, the, the later ones are far better. Um, from what I've heard, mm-hmm. I stopped it at three. I thought the pinnacle was yeah, taking Tokyo Drift. Yeah, there's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are you doing? You're asking me who Han is. Han was in Tokyo yeah, Drift. Well, I, have, I saw it once. <laughs> fuck yeah! <laughs> I probably didn't know who the hell I was looking at. Yeah, I can't remember Tokyo Drift barely at all. All I remember is Diesel turns up at the end, oh, and shit. it's stars. One of the bikes out of NCIS. <laughs> he's now in NCIS. Yeah, he's the little kid. Yeah. He used to be the little kid on American Gothic or whatever that show yeah. was called. So yeah. I really don't remember through uh, Tokyo Drift much. In fact, I think you need to watch. I probably need to go and I, I need to watch the, the entire watch. series. But on a straight up looking at the trailer, it looks like yes. If if you are a fan of this series, you are getting what you what you want. Mm-hmm. Like the series. Has gone further and further over the top, but there's a reason for that. Yeah, it's that people are, are, are 
are flocking to these films and enjoying yeah. it. And if that's what's happening, then to me, you get what you're getting what you yeah. what you pay for. I for me, it's a down just strictly because I need to see the others. I, I'm not uh, I'm not so down on John Cena either, but he's got a pretty narrow kind of. He's not Batista. Look, I've already said it. He doesn't have the range of Batista, and I stand by that. Okay, I'm planting the flag right there. Look, you know what? But I like Cena. I, I like Cena. I like, a lot ha- too, I like to see him in film. So the heel turn. Uh, is he going to be up to it? The bad yeah, guy. I think so. Yeah. I, I think that's why Charlize Theron's back because he's not up to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, Charlize. Obviously, she's got payments to make because this is not her scene I tell you she got involved in the last one yeah look the dollars came rolling yeah, in and they said another yes, yes please because <laughs> Helen Mirren's back too I know I know and look I think it's because this these films are probably um, they're, they're very highly budgeted it seems like there's a real good chemistry between the group and and the actors seem to get along well. Yeah. And, you know, that's why you probably pull a lot of people back in because well, they have yeah, a great time. That's what happens when you live your life a quarter mile at a time. <laughs> I could do without him ever saying that again. He says it all the time. <laughs> I know. Too. I know. Um, but as far as I can tell, it's only a down for me because I need to find see the rest of the series. And if once I've seen, you know, four, five, six, seven, and I say to myself, nah. I can't do it anymore. No, and, look, you know, I'd be no I guarantee you watch. Once you get to part five, work your way through six and, and get to part seven, you'll be back here nearly look, at the altar of Diesel. We <laughs> we have said this repeatedly that I need to see the rest of these films. So I, I am you making I am making a that's homework a one hundred percent promise that I will knock these fuckers the over in the next right couple there, of weeks. Mate, take it in with the next you. couple of weeks. I'll knock them over. Let's just quickly touch on. We both bought Blair Witch. Yep the PlayStation game. Yep. My take on it is as atmospherically it's got a lot going for it, especially when it's dark. Yeah. And you're waltzing around the middle of the forest <laughs> with just a flashlight. Yep. And they use a uh, some really nice sound design work that is quite creepy. Yep. But it's clunky as hell uh, as far as controlling everything it goes. Yeah. There's a, there's a kind of like a fight system that doesn't really work at all. No. The dog is a really good touch, but it because the dog acts as your warning system, your friend, your, you know, your seeking, you know, you give it a, an item to sniff and it follows the... It, it, it It's great for all that, but... It's not fully fleshed, so it doesn't work very well all the time. Yeah. And fuck me, if I get lost in the woods again, <laughs> you know, I know they're trying to create that claustrophobic, that environment of being lost like they were in the movies, but keep that shit to a minimum. Yeah. You know, it's these are games that work on sort of rails somewhat. Yes. Yeah, I pretty much agree with everything you said. Like, the atmosphere and the and the the sound is excellent. I know you were playing with the headphones in, which is yes. recommended. I played it without them, but I love the fact that like when you're on the walkie-talkie or when the phone call comes in, the sound through the through the PlayStation speaker is such that you almost have to put the controller up to your ear yeah, like yeah. a phone. Yeah, that stuff all works really, really well. And as you said, the atmosphere and everything's excellent. Yeah, I said it to you. There's an element of being lost in the woods that you have to have to kind of get that Blair Witch feel. 
but let's let's there's times when you just need to so we need to know where to go next yeah. basically yeah. there's times where it's like you've got what's happened and you're just like okay let's move on like yeah the dog I love the idea but it just needed more work like the amount of times I've wandered around and the dog's done things like he's leading you, but he, he stops and waits for you at points. Then I'll be right on his hammer, and then he stops and turns and walks back past me and and then starts going again, but I've turned around to follow him where he's going. Yeah. And, like, and the, the times when it's fighting, I mean, shit, you just, you got, you, you're just spinning, basically, and you fucking lose track of him. And, yeah, um, and you need to know where the dog is. Yeah, yeah, um, the dog is super important for yeah. that. Uh, Part of that was just a, like a bit of a learning curve, but even having sort of gotten that, I'm still kind of like, shit. Well, it's still so. difficult. Well, it's not so much, yeah, it's it's difficult, but it just feels off. Like it's not very smooth when, you, when you're trying to fucking turn around. As you said, that combat system, when you're trying to use the torch and turn around and do that sort of stuff, it just feels off. And, and in which a way, be big issue. And like I said, when we we're talking about getting lost, I mean, I found a videotape, right? I found a videotape where there's a really cool system where they they work the videotapes in, which is a real. I do really like that part of it. Yeah. So I found a videotape, and then the save point didn't save where I'd got the videotape. I had to get to another point, then I had to turn the game off. It didn't save that I'd gotten this videotape, so I had to go back. And fuck me, if I could find the thing. I couldn't find it again. Like, I just had no idea where to go get back to find it. Hmm. And I, I thought I was pretty well sort of... I knew where I was. <laughs> Obviously, I had no fucking idea. And at the same time, I was walking through one of those brush areas where bullets barking. Bullet, bullet, where are you? <laughs> bullets barking, and you can see the arrow pointing yeah. to him. So I race towards the arrow. He barks again. The arrow's behind me. I'm fucking turning in circles. Going, where the fuck? His bullet, <laughs> but overall, like it's a bit of fun. Yeah, it's, it's not, cool. It's decent not fun, but it's nothing. Good, um, so. It's nothing groundbreaking. No, it, I feel like you said it would work as a virtual reality game. Yeah, I kept looking at it, and I'm just thinking that seems like it would have been perfect, especially with the move controller as the torch. And, yeah, yeah. I don't know. And maybe. that would have sorted out some of the fight mechanics if you're using. Yeah, your own I hand think so. I mean, it, it would have. Uh, would have meant it would have had to be less kind of it would have had to be almost more on rails so you yeah. could kind of just be using that field of view in front of you yeah but it's worked like I think there's parts in there the kids have got me playing the Five Nights at Freddy VR yeah. one and there's there's torches involved in that and it works a treat stuff jumps uh, out at you yeah I feel it could have worked much better in that respect alright let's take a break and here's the trailer for 1980s, The Fog. Something is moving in the fog. Who's there? Something not quite human. Who is that? In Halloween, John Carpenter created a night of absolute fear. Now, he has conjured an evil so intense, not even the dawn can drive it away. The Fog, a study in unrelenting terror. Rated R. The Fog from 1980, directed by John Carpenter, who gave us Halloween and They Live, produced by Deborah Hill. She produced pretty much the majority of Carpenter's earlier ca- early catalogue, I think, but as well as as well as such other gems as Clue and Adventures in Babysitting. I believe that's on um, Disney Plus. 
Right. Yeah. You're going to go and check it out? Yeah, oh, well, look, shit. I've got <laughs> Disney Plus. I might as well fucking watch something. It's written by Carpenter and Deborah Hill as well. It stars Adrian Barbeau as Stevie Wayne, Jamie Lee Curtis as Elizabeth Solly, Janet Lee as Kathy Williams, and Tom Atkins as Nick Castle. The budget was $1 million and the box office was $21 million. So, nice little learner. It's stated that uh, in the trivia that Kurt Russell was offered a role. Hmm. Well, he was in pretty deep with Carpenter at that stage, so that doesn't surprise me. All right, Jared, your thoughts. The Fog. All right. It's not one of Carpenter's absolute best, but for some reason it just holds a a little special place for me. (laughs) I'm very fond of it. The things that I think are really good are the kind of the ghost story sort of tone. Um, how they, they, you know, they started off with the campfire ghost story, and then the way that the fog looks and the the crewmen sort of look silhouetted, and that stuff all works a treat. Like visually, it's excellent. Carpenter sort of takes his time with it. You don't really get to know any characters all that well, which is a bit weird. Yeah, but it's it seems Stevie to be all, Wayne a little bit. Yeah, Stevie Wayne a little bit, but. They all kind of just seem to be in the fog trying to get out of it. There's not really any sort of character arcs or anything. Yeah. But when all's said and done, it gets about a three and a half for me. I just really... I love the, 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 the ghost story vibe to it. I love that it, the, the way that he shot all that. And so it's one of those ones in my mind where I'm like, I overlook some of the flaws because I really yeah. dig that other stuff so much. Yeah. So, yeah, three and a half for me. I would agree. It's at times really moody and atmospheric and it gets a, a heap of mileage out of the locales and some really strong visuals. Carpenter's visuals are, are quite good here. Where it's let down for me is it there's some very poor jump scares, which is quite surprising for Carpenter. Mm-hmm. His first couple of films, well, certainly Halloween had something a lot, quite a couple of jump scares that work really well. In this case, they're not; they don't work at all. It feels like they kind of didn't need them. It's kind of cheap scares that this movie didn't really need. This mm. movie is an atmospheric horror film, so the, the jump scares are a, a mistake. It's also a little clunky about explanations around the why the ghosts are back. Yeah, um, some of it is super strong and other yeah. parts are just a bit kind of... It doesn't quite make sense yeah. until you've read Wikipedia. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's all it all comes together, but when you're actually watching the film... Well... We were asking each other questions all through it. No, uh, but we pieced it together in the film. We were piecing it together in the film as it went along, but then you asked a couple of questions and I asked a couple of questions where we were both kind of like... Yeah, don't know. Don't yeah, know don't about know that, that really like works. It's, so, so it's sort of yeah. Parts of the parts of that were a little bit played a bit fast and loose with with what they could do and yeah. It felt some of it felt a little bit unnecessary. And you're right, character development is really at a, a minimum here. I mean, you don't get to know anyone. Hmm. Nobody's. Re- I mean, whose movie is it really? It it doesn't kind of have a. Hero, you know Tom Atkins, maybe Jamie Lee Curtis is there in the. In Seems the, more like Tom Atkins. Jamie Lee really is sidelined for a lot yeah. of the time, which is. Um, we don't see Janet Lee until thirty minutes in. Hmm. You know, and she's a she's a 
uh, one of the top build sort of cast members. So it's, it's a bit strange in the way it's set up there. It is a little. It's a solid addition to Carpenter's Canon. Yeah, like, there's totally. certainly nothing wrong with it. I feel it has a ton of room to move for a remake. I think it would be just really, not the really, remake. No, not the not the one they did. <laughs> not the one they did. Yeah. But I'd love to see someone. Let's say some like um, director of like The Witch or something like that who can bring a, a moody, atmospheric well, style. He just to did it. one about the lighthouse, didn't he? So. Yeah, that type of thing. <laughs> someone like that could really do some justice to it mm. um, and do something good with it. Uh, I give it three. Sold Interesting. Three. All right, the likes, atmosphere all the way. This is really, really atmospheric stuff. Yeah, especially at night. It's all got that kind of blue, yeah, blue tinge to tinge it. to it, and the way that the fog moves and uh, there's yeah, kind of a sense great. of dread yeah. throughout. Like it's evoked very early on mm. when we have the whole the time uh, that that springs to that certain time, and then everything starts going a little bit haywire in town. Yeah, yeah. Kind of just brings this little bit of dread on, even yeah. though we haven't got to the fog and we haven't got to the the crux of what's happening. Yeah. Just sort of setting the scene. It's very eerie and quiet and yeah. yeah. And Carpenter uses a heap of the the classic kind of Carpenter moves that he used in Halloween, like long, slow tracking shots where, you know, he doesn't he really doesn't move very far, he just kind of follows around. You know, some of that sort of stuff that he used is really, really well done here. Mm. It's quite well directed. But I think pacing wise, he kind of it's not too quick. He doesn't try and rush anything. He just kind of slowly rolls out the story. Yes. And I think you need that here. You know, you need to build tension because you're not relying on shit leaping out at you. Yeah, yeah. And it's that that lets him down, trying to go it in that direction. does a little bit. The location. You I'm going to say it. it's Tugworthy. You absolutely loved it. <laughs> um, no, it's good. It's a um, small windswept coastal town. Yeah, yep. Brilliant. And it does it does kind of evoke this sort of isolation. Yeah. Like, you know, that's just natural for that kind of place with the lighthouse. That That is sort of a remote. That's yeah. That's, that's a uh, landmark of a remote place, really. Yeah. And I think it works well with the ominous atmosphere. Mm. Like, you couldn't put this in a big city setup. You couldn't do something of that nature. You have to have a small, isolated town, little community place that, you know, suddenly the fog rolls in and then all hell breaks loose. And yeah. it works because of that. Yep. Um, and the locations are really, really nice. Yeah. I don't know exactly where it was shot in. Well, they come up nicely in daytime, and they also they also do really well with it. At the, in the nighttime shots as well. Yeah. And the fog is coming in. Like, it looks equally impressive. Yeah. Both, really. I like the opening. I actually like the campfire. Yeah. Start. It's a great way to, to Just kind of teasing out some of what went on. Yeah. And the idea of the clipper ship that crashed and... Yeah, classic nearby. little campfire, campfire ghost story. It's Setting a, up the 100-year anniversary. Yeah, it's a little bit like Friday the 13th, where you're feeling in this... Some of the Friday the 13th movies that use that kind of... The campfire stuff to start it off, like... Yeah. it's uh, It fills in some little details for us in a neat little way. Yeah, it fills in the... Uh, it basically kicks the story off, mm. but doesn't give us everything. Yeah, because we get to it. 
And you get you, you get your sugar free Donald Pleasance telling us that the story. That is definitely a Donald Pleasance role, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? That is definitely, definitely Donald Pleasance. It's just a cut rate yeah. version. Really strong opening again. What we talked about before. That first few minutes sets the tone. It's quiet. There's no dialogue. Goes through a bunch of locations. Yeah, too. gives us a little bit of an understanding of okay, here's the the grocery store, here's the radio station, here's the weather meteorology place or whatever. Charles Cyphers. Charles Cyphers. Best ring someone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, it does a good job of at least giving us an understanding of the town yep. and how it might be sort of set out. Yeah. It's very kind of measured, very, as you said, uses those carpenter touches where it's it lingers on particular things and uses the kind of darkness and the shadows to his, to his advantage to kind yeah. of build that atmosphere. I think it's a good move to have Stevie Wayne almost act like our our conscience or our, you know, sort of act as the audience's... And she sort of narrates. Yeah, she's narr- she sort of narrates in. the story. She's, she's kind of bringing the characters together, bringing their information together. It works really well to bring together this feeling of a small little isolated community too, yes. because you can tell it's a small little town. She's operating the lighthouse and she's the radio station. Yeah, everyone's listening to it. Yep. as well so it's sort of yeah even the guys out on the ships and yeah you know it's sort of it works well to just give you the sense of community and yep. I also dig that the radio station's in the lighthouse mm. you know, as I told you you love a lighthouse well as I told you I'd like to retire and live in a lighthouse <laughs> but you know as you said do you need to operate it <laughs> those questions I have to ask those questions before I do it I've also heard that you get you get lots of uh, visitors coming to take photographs and stuff, so ah. you'd be out on the top of... Get the fuck off my land! <laughs> <laughs> I can be right on town time. I'll grow a beard. <laughs> I'll be the town rummy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wandering back to my lighthouse with my brown paper sack. Yeah. Basically, it'll be the um, it'll be the bloke on the on the campfire on the beach, dressed up like a captain, talking about, <laughs> ah, yes, we don't go near the lighthouse. <laughs> rummy there... <laughs> will abuse you until you fucking fall over dead from the stench of his breath. <laughs> yes. People people say it's haunted, but they realise, no, he's just, he's just a drunken asshole. <laughs> I really like the reveal of the, the clipper ship out in the ocean. Mm. They just come across it, shrouded in fog, and then suddenly the... The ship is taken over by the, yeah, the yeah. ghostly guys. And the way that that all works is great, how they just kind of show up in the fog. You don't see them fucking leaping off the cliff or anything like that. You just see the fog come in and then they're just standing there. Yeah, yeah. That stuff, it works a treat. Yes. As I said, I enjoyed that few minutes on what I labelled as the SS scumbag. <laughs> while they were... Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, yeah. no, sorry out there. Burping and farting and scratching their nuff. Lusting over bloody Stevie White. Yeah. Oh, I'd like to meet her. He says at one point, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, that stuff was all all really good. Yeah, yeah. And that... Every time those... The, 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 the guys come out of the fog, that is always really well well done. Like, he... he he always keeps it in silhouette. You never quite get a full look at them. Yeah, all the way through. Yeah, it's pretty consistent through the whole movie that the fog and the the fog rolling and moving through the town and the, and the the guys in the fog always look pretty great. Yeah, 
he does a really good job with that to keep bringing them back and but never quite showing us I think that's what always what I always remember like you look at the cover and that's what it is yeah. like the, the, the the silhouette and the fog with the with the, the really eyes and every time I kind of forget details about this movie yeah, I never really forget that yes and I think that that's what makes this movie Carpenter never lets us, lets us down on any of that no like he always no. He, he always does a really good job with that throughout the film so that's one of the bigger sort of selling points for me mm-hmm. I really actually strangely enough because it was a weird piece but I liked it the fact that Stevie had the half of the the sign mm. from the ship and it suddenly just starts leaking water yeah. out and it, it kind of wets the radio and then suddenly you hear this ghostly voice saying something I thought that was really cool. It was another way of sort of bringing a slightly different touch to this whole ghost yeah, feeling. Yeah, that was really the only time they branched out with something a little different yeah, in yeah. terms of... But it was it was interesting because it was yeah. something that we hadn't yet seen from yeah, any of this. Yeah, I liked it. I liked it. I also liked Tom Atkins' story of encountering the ship. Yes. Not saying that he'd kind of been in the fog or anything like that, but saying that they came, acro- came across a ship that... Looked like it had been there for forever, and it? it was just it was all rusted. And well, yeah, you can when he goes over the details, it's clear that this ship had encountered the yeah. What was it called? The fuck, I've forgotten the name of the ship already. I can't remember. But yeah, he, he encountered the ship and the and the ghosts, and he's in the of, middle of dinner and all this sort of stuff. Like I said, there was food on the table. Yeah, and it was yeah. You know, a, a cup rusted to the table and all this yep. sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I like that as well it just kind of set a little bit of a scene it was almost like another ghost story yeah it's just it's just adding to it like yeah. it's just adding this extra little these extra little pieces to it my favourite piece in the in the film from a suspense sort of aspect was the clearly dead Dick Baxter getting back up off the morgue table and the way yeah. that shot yeah, you know yeah. you kind of see his hand come out from underneath the sheet yep and then he, gra- he grabs a pen, I think. And then you see from the back of the... Yeah, a low shot at the bottom of the the gurney and his feet sort of come yeah, off slowly and come slowly in. come yeah. down. And you can see Jamie Lee just in front of him. Like, that was really cool stuff. And, and when, you, when you finally kind of... They never show his face mm. in detail. They just sort of show Jamie Lee and then he you can just see him kind of wandering towards her. Yeah, yeah. In the background. Really cool, really um, tense. That kind was of stuff. very cool. Although I'm still, I still query what happened. This is one of those questions because nobody else got up. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what happened, but I, I agree that was a really because uh, he had no eyes. He had his eyes gouged out and his yeah. head three quarters I don't cut know off. What and was he, going? On. Like, he was just a <laughs> he was a wreck. So I'm not yeah, quite he was sure. Just a bloody slab of meat. Yeah, what? And he, he just kind of collapsed. Yeah, that was he just, it. Uh, he collapsed. But I agree, it was very, very well shot. Yeah, it was visually really stunning, but doesn't really stand up to the test of what, 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 how does it tie back to what's going on? Yeah, which we'll probably get a bit more to in the dislikes yeah. a little bit. But yes, I actually liked the death of Charles Cyphers. Yeah, that was uh, actually the, next on my list. The fog sort of rolls in, coats the whole area. Yep. The knocking at the door. Yeah, and you sort of know where it's going, and this is the only jump scare that really works. He opens the door the and he stands there. just fucking flies in and yeah, and grabs, grabs him. him. And I thought that was another one of those cool visual pieces. Yeah, and it, it it was like they'd done it previously where 
there's nothing there. And then when you see one and the shot changes, there's like two or three yeah. around him. Mm. I that, like that. That Yeah, I like that a lot. And it's similar to when um, Mrs. Uh, whatever her name is, Cobritz dies. The, yeah, yeah. That's a cool scene too. Same thing. She opens the door. She gets grabbed, yeah. pulled out. And as she gets pulled into the fog, you just see two other people sort of peel off into it. Mm. I like standing sort of, next to the door. You see that almost through the eyes of the kid. Yeah. Like, you see the shot of the door and her just get yanked into the fog, basically. Yeah. And as you said, you see the kind of other silhouettes. But, yeah, I, I really like that you saw that through his his eyes. And yeah. And that whole sequence was cool. inside the house and she got sort of ripped out into the fog. That, that was, whole sequence was cool because then they come in, they knock on the door and they smash the door open with the little hook. Yep. And... Tommy Atkins has to get there in true heroic Atkins oh, fashion course. and smash the window and take the kid out. Like All of that was really good. Again, the suspense, the build-up. Carpenter never rushes his stuff. No. He never rushes for a payoff. No. You know, he kind of keeps it. And I feel that's the reason why the tension builds in these films. Yeah. And why this one, even being a little bit underdone in some aspects, is still a very enjoyable kind of... It's still, it's still a very enjoyable watch and something that you go back to a bunch of yeah. times, you know. And my final like is the finale. I, I think the finale for the last probably ten of ten minutes or so, mm. when they when the fog rolls in, blankets the whole town, yeah, and they, they just suddenly start coming out. Yeah, they come out of everywhere. It works. Yeah. All of it. It pretty seems much works. forcing it to the church seems a bit convenient, but then when it all comes together and everything's. Unearthed. There's a reason why. It's like, yeah. oh, well, yeah, that makes total sense because the fog is, you know, obviously it's not just the fog has blanketed the town. It's yeah. the fog had a fucking a has, path that it was... It's basically sort of pushed everyone to it. Yeah. And it, it, most of that works really well from a visual point with Stevie on the roof of the lighthouse and mm. there's a bloke climbing the stairs, you know. Yep. Um, all of it's really, really strong. Particularly the shots in the church of where... They actually come in. Yeah, and they're yeah, all standing there they're all just, the, again, amongst the pews. The shot just comes in of them, you know, the dimly lit sort of other end of the church. And then Blake starts coming down the middle of the aisle. Like, that stuff it's is... Because the red eyes. Yeah. And I, I yeah. Works a treat. Love it. But, works. I mean, that is probably the strongest part of the movie for mine is all the, hus- the, the historical aspect where they're reading from the journal and uncovering what's happening and tying that into modern day with the Malone character in the church yeah that is probably for me the strongest aspect of it all up and that's what Tom Atkins' story adds to like yeah I love that love that uh, that part of it I also uh, I know you were a bit down on parts of it but the second half especially I felt the score was pretty strong it's not one of Carpenter's best again much like the, the rest of the picture but he does a similar thing to Halloween 3 with that pulsing stuff. Yeah. It's not as um, sort of panicked. It's not as urgent as the Halloween 3 one. It was kind of did, 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 like it was just pumping, whereas this one's a bit more kind of... I would agree. As the finale thin. rolls in, the music steps up a gear, and it, it works well. This score's more in keeping with the thing, but not as sort of iconic, I guess, as the thing one. Mm. I really like the one from the thing. Which this is one, one of the ones that he didn't do, right? That was... Uh, oh, was that Ennio Marco? Marco? Oh, yeah. It feels a bit like that. Yeah, it does. It has that kind of feel, that slow, 
you know, yeah, pulsing yeah, yeah. kind of thing. And, and the thing takes similar sort of musical beats, but the thing I feel is a much better yeah. core. But yeah, look, this isn't the worst. It unfortunately fell into the dislikes because he's had so many better ones. Or he's had a number of he better has, he ones. Has, he has had better ones. So I just feel that it's not quite there. Is, you got any other likes? No, that was it. That was it. Well, straddling quickly into dislikes, yet yeah, I, I just don't feel the score works as well as he has had in the past. Yeah, and it's probably not as... I would, I would <laughs> probably agree that it's probably not as consistent overall. Yeah. Um, and it's certainly not an iconic yeah. one. He still shows a, a really good sense of when to, when to use it and when not to. Yes. I think that's one of his strengths, too. He never overplays his hand with the... the music, no, no, of course think. not. There's a really out-of-place zoom in yeah. the campfire scene. It's a, it's a sort of a medium shot of the guy telling the story and the campfire there, and suddenly it just kind of randomly zooms quickly in on yeah. his face, and it's woefully out-of-place. It feels yeah. like it... Like, you're talking about See, you're trying hesitated. to build atmosphere. I hesitated on this because we looked a little bit... I looked at it and I said, I don't think that's... You I thought it was a glitch. I thought right? it was a glitch with the disc or something, but um, we did a little bit of... Well, let's be honest. We Googled for three minutes and that's our <laughs> research at, here at the Thrill Me podcast. So, so... Uh, look, we can't afford this. We've got to do this shit ourselves, okay? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, no, we, we got onto a couple of forums and things like that and, and people were saying that this has been present through... A handful of releases, DVD through yeah. Blu-ray, like right back to the early 2000s. I don't, I don't know what it is or where it came from. I don't know whether it's a directorial flourish or yeah. what. I'm giving Carpenter a pass because it just doesn't look like like there's no reason for it to be there and there's nothing like that anywhere, anywhere else, else in the picture, including in that scene. So I'm kind of giving him a pass, but it still earns a place in the dislikes because you can cut that shit out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just pause there it for was, a second and it'll be less noticeable. Yeah, there was no need to keep it. Just cut it <laughs> slightly, like just cut that bit yeah, and you've just around it. We yeah, can work around it. It was, just, it. It was woefully out of place because it, it felt like some sort of action movie or something. Yeah, like. yeah, because everything's like static. Everything I've seen is pretty static, you know. It's, and a, then, it's, a, it's a long shot of him and then we go to the shot of the kids and there's a close-up of him. And when you see it, you're just like, whoa, shit, what's going on here? So um, if we do need to hire an intern, we should hire Kramer's intern, Darren. Mm. <laughs> like, mentioned chicken wire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we can get some chicken wire in here. <laughs> Tom Atkins without a moustache. Just no. Unacceptable. No. <laughs> he looks like well, a Mexican hairless. As I said, it's like it's like Jason without his mask or Freddie without his glove. Like Atkins, Atkins without his son's moustache is not. I don't, I don't like it. Can we yeah. digitally put it back in? Yeah, I reckon the next restoration should include a fake move. Yeah, yeah. And while you're at it, throw a can of beer in his hand and we can just pretend yeah. it's... And drop one extra button on his shirt. <laughs> <laughs> we can just pretend it's Dan Chalice. Um, just making yeah. his way to... Chalice is making his way to Halloween Town. Uh, taking your detour through... Um, Antonio Bay. Antonio Bay. Bay. Just to, just <laughs> also, look... I'm not knocking the great man, but without the mo, I don't see him 
betting Jamie Lee Kiffin. Without the mo, Jamie says no. That's, <laughs> a, that's the motto. Yeah, it's a hard pass for Jamie without the moustache. I tell you what, though, if he mows back up... Oh, she, she, I don't even make it out of the truck. She can't help herself. Like it just, yeah, it doesn't hold up. It doesn't hold up. <laughs> Do you think he, he would have said to her, what happens if I grow a bow in the next day or so? <laughs> yeah, all right, baby. Yeah, right. <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. Atkins, he doesn't feel no. manly enough. <laughs> Too much negative space on his, <laughs> on his head. <laughs> the composition of his face is all wrong. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh, I love the man. Love him. Yeah, so do I. I do. I love the man. I think even he wised up. Yeah, yeah. Back. I think even, like today, even as of today, the man wears a, a salt and pepper. Yep. Grey mo. Yep. Good Stick choice. with it, Tom. Yep. Stick with it. There are a number of jump scares that do not work. It's a real surprise because Carpenter was very proficient at this type of stuff. Yeah. You know, but there's one where Father Below basically gets catapulted. <laughs> <laughs> he fucking catapults out of the dark. <laughs> it looks like he was on like a spring-loaded chair or something. <laughs> he launches right in there. He's very enthusiastic. About- <laughs> People are calling out for him and he doesn't seem too enthusiastic, but as soon as someone makes it near the shadow, hey, do you think he was pissed? Oh, of course. He's just fallen out of, of the course, shadows? Of course, given the you know, given the rest of the film, I would say that's a that's a firm, um, firm yes. firmly in the positive on that one. Yeah, there's that one. There's the one where the body falls out of the behind Jamie Lee in the boat. Yeah. That they he tries to do a little bit of misdirection, the stuff falls out of a locker in front of yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. And then she leans forward, and this guy falls out behind her. Yeah. Um. It, but it but it seems ill timed and doesn't really work. And it's in a it's it's in a um. Sort of in a long shot to get them all in there. Yeah. And it looks you can't even really you just kind of see him fucking slump over the top and that's it. Like, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of that one. And I just felt personally that this film didn't need this stuff. No. The, it was, again, it was about atmosphere. It was our building suspense and tension and slowly getting towards well, what was going to happen. The Charles Cypher's part of it was spot on. That's perfect. Like it played it played it beautifully. This one, I don't know, did you even need the body falling out or did you just need him going up above deck or whatever and finding, and finding it or something? Yeah. Like, I feel like that would have that would have fit... Because we've already seen what sort of happens, yeah. so we could kind of gather ourselves. We already knew when that when that happens, we know sort of what's happened to him. So it just seemed, yeah, it just seemed like a, a cheap way to, to ring a little little extra scare in there. And finding him dead, slumped in in a in a really sort of normal position or something like that would have added a little more to the creepiness of the whole thing. Yeah, I think so. So I, I didn't uh, specifically that one in particular, but there were several other jump scares that didn't work. It felt like he was a little bit off mm. on those things. I only had one other dislike, and it was that after getting through all the details about what happened, uh, that there's a mention of leprosy, and I just couldn't really work out. And maybe it was just because. It was a little clunky un- trying to understand it once you were piecing it together. Was there a real necessity for the, the leprosy angle, which does come up? It, it kind of felt like seem really. like it. Like, the, my, I thought initially maybe it was because they looked all kind of 
weathered and the skin was falling off and that was kind of the leprosy. Yeah. But they've but been that, underwater for but ages. Yeah, that was it. They mentioned that they've been underwater for ages. I was like, oh, well, that's what that is. Yeah, I didn't see the necessity for it. I mean, I was thinking to myself, is it that they were paying gold because they... The to get into the colony? To get in there because the people didn't want the leprosy, the leper colony, so they were saying we'll pay the gold or whatever, and then they decided to kill them and take the gold anyway because either way, it, it still works all right. Yeah. You've offered your place to this to the to Blake and his group, and you double cross them anyway. You light the fire on the beach and they run him into the rocks, and you take the gold. Like either way, you look like heartless bastards. So, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I did you run him into the reef? Well, that I guess that that's what it was. You ran him into the reef because you didn't want a leper colony. That there. was yeah. Well, that was it. But I mean. But if you, you took that out, you took that out and you went with greed, yeah. We knew he had we gold knew on board. We had gold and we ran him into we the beach. We decided to, like, to kill him. It sort of comes down to that anyway. And it still um, brings in the revenge kind of angle of the hundred years. Yeah, so it's, it's not like hugely out of place, but it could have probably could have done without it. Yeah. I just feel maybe it was in there for you know flair. It seemed like it was ve- it seemed like it was going to be very important to what was going on. Yeah. Because it's mentioned very quite early, like, no, well, not quite early, but about yeah. a half hour in, a thirty-five minutes in. Yeah, but it doesn't it doesn't doesn't actually say in the well, if I remember correctly, it doesn't actually say when he's reading the book that that's why they did it. It just says they ran him into the beach and took the gold. Well, but she basically says I was not happy with the leper colony being like yeah. not too far away. Yeah, but that doesn't really explain it well enough. And to me, you could have taken lepers out entirely. And yeah. as I said, you go with the greed angle, which yep. essentially that's what it was. Yeah. They turned up for their gold and, and you mean, took from them. Well, and I, I feel they do take revenge even after the gold, though. Yeah, but that's because of the, 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 the actual father is, is grand, one of the grand, yeah, yeah, uh, grandson. grandson. Yeah. So that, that I understand that and that works. It's just also, for me personally, it just took a little bit of mystery like I loved the fact that they we didn't know what that they drowned and that was it. Mm. It just added this kind of like extra piece that just took a little bit of the mystery away for me. And as we've sort of discussed, I just if they'd have cut it, it wouldn't have mattered. It it yeah. didn't impact on anything. Yeah. And I think that's a key well, thing when you look at those things. If it was in things. there, maybe they should have played it like that. The priest was kind of an unwilling participant in it at all. I don't know. Was it trying to establish the history in Antonio Bay of there'd been a leper colony close by or whatever? You know, was it trying to perhaps create a little bit of that? Well, I don't think... I mean, because that, it never went on about the colony ever again. Well, that you know, come, that becomes... Un, un, like, that, that's not impacted either because I feel like what it seems like is that the riches from the gold allowed them to establish a larger community. Yes. So, so they kind of got what they wanted, and these guys were back for it. Yeah, you ripped us off, you stole yeah, our yeah. money, you killed us all. Yeah, and we want payback. That Basically. is enough. I think it's book. enough, probably. Yeah. The and other part, I guess, it fits with the time. I suppose, like the timing of when he's saying that all this happened. Yeah, the and 1880s, whatever you know. Yeah, true. Look, it just didn't work for me. It felt like a little bit. Of an extra piece, it was unnecessary. Mm. Unless you were going to flesh it out a bit further. Yeah. 
my uh, last dislike kind of builds on that mm. is that when you find out what's going on, still doesn't cover whether you're only in their line of fire if you've got if you've got the gold or you, or you had an ancestor that was a part of it because they seem to be kind of indiscriminate. Yeah, well, they said they need six souls to replace them. Anybody will do, basically, it would seem. Well, they get Malone, obviously. They get Malone, they get three guys on the boat, and they get Mrs. Mrs. um, Yeah, the old bird. Whatever her name is, Cobras. Yeah, Charles Cyphers. Yeah, Charles Cyphers, there's your six. But none of them, they never mention that any of them other than Malone, mm. is connected to the, the forefathers. The well, I thought gold. they were going for the kid because he found something from the ship. But then, you know, the, the fishermen out at sea are just in their path. So maybe, I don't know, probably just maybe clarify that it didn't matter which six souls you got. Like, yeah. Because Malone is, oh, they, they, they're they going to take me because I'm his, you know, I need to, to pay for this, basically. Yeah. But no one else seems to be tied to that. I mean, to me, it works fine that if you're in the fog, you're in a bit of strife. Well, yeah, it's indiscriminate, but, yeah, just a little bit of clarification. Mm. Well, who gives a shit? Like, they could have gone with the other one. Just anyone in our path is going to die until we get what we're after. Yeah. And what we're after is the gold. Mm Mm-hmm. And That was actually uh, adding that to to the likes. I, I loved that the gold was in the... Was in the cross. cross. Yeah, that was cool. That was a nice little touch. I didn't have any other dislike. No, no. Apart for the, I mean, I think I guess we touched on it, but there is just there is no character development. Not really. Like nobody gets more than a scene or two. Yeah. To provide any real depth about who they are, Stevie Wayne's the one that we probably know the most, but even her, she it's spends most limited, of her time. What we know. The voice of Antonio Bay yeah. and a small section about and her fending and her son. off Charles Cyphers, desperately fending off desperately. Charles Cyphers. <laughs> He's you know, just about leaping down, ducking the and weaving and saying, "No, no, no! I've got a meeting that day." And, <laughs> oh, look! I've got to have a, got to, got to get my beauty sleep. Yeah. <laughs> but nobody really has anything. As you say, there was no arc to their character. Like they didn't start somewhere and end somewhere else. Or, mm. I mean, Jamie Lee's just basically um, wandering, hitchhiking through town. Yeah, pretty much. And then we never really get a sense of. I think she was going to Vancouver. That was the the only piece of information I un- I remember hearing. Yeah. So, I think that's a pretty big negative. Probably. It's depending on what you're going for, I guess. Mm. You haven't got anything else? No, that was that was everything I had. All right. That was The Fog. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify and Podomatic. Send us an email at thrillme at iinet.net.au or on Facebook at Thrill Me Podcast Australia and at Podomatic at thrillme.podomatic.com or also on Instagram at thrillmepodcastau. We hope to be back next episode with the entire group. Fingers crossed. I believe we're looking at the Kill Bill films as the next next pair. Yep. But until then, take it easy, and we'll catch up with everyone later. Cheers. Find the podcast at Podomatic. 
or on iTunes, don't forget to rate and review. Like us on Facebook at Thrill Me Podcast Australia or contact us at Thrill Me, all one word, all lowercase, at iinet.net.au.